0: Clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton
1: Hunt, and I'm John Ash. With us today is Scott Hunter. Scott works at Microsoft on Visual Studio and .NET, including .NET Core, .NET tooling, languages, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, and web tooling. Welcome, Scott.
2: Hey, thanks
3: for having me on the show.
2: Yeah, uh, so it, it's been a little bit since we've had you on, but uh, welcome back. Uh, you know what? What? Uh, what? What's been new with you these days?
3: I think it's been a long time, hasn't i, I think I was gonna say what when, when it what is it at ignite twenty nineteen probably the last time that we did this yep yep that's i I can't believe it's been that long, so uh let's try not to do it uh that far apart again next time uh lots of new stuff for for us we uh um we're just shipped you know net six um which is the next version of net i was enjoying the the intro when you said you said net core and, and in my mind I was going Oh, we, we dropped that core thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, that might be, a, that might be a, that's, a, that's kind of a fun topic in itself is we, uh, you know, there's always, there was .NET Core, which was the rebuilt from the ground up .NET that was trying to attract the, the modern developer. Uh, we stripped out a bunch of the old tech, um, only put stuff in .NET that was the stuff we thought you'd build an app with today. Um, and then, you know, we, we got to .NET Core 3.1. And there was .NET Framework 4.8 and .NET Core 3.1. We were afraid of having a .NET Core 4 and a .NET Framework 4. And so we, we played the, the crazy version skip game and went right to 5. Um, and we thought at the same time it would be a good time to drop the, the core as well because we really wanted to make uh, it clear to developers that .NET 5 and now .NET 6 is the future path. It's got a bigger version number than .NET Framework. And it doesn't have a core name or anything like that that anymore. Um, This will sound weird.
2: Go ahead. It uh, it 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 makes it difficult for me when I'm upgrading my .NET framework applications, and I'm like, I want to make up. We need to upgrade it to the .NET core style of .NET five or .NET six coming out. (laughs) I I I apologize, (laughs) Um,
3: but you'll hear me probably say many times today that we we really want to optimize for the new customer. Um, I mean, we, the, the existing customer matters a ton as well, but, but, but really, you know, we don't want to have two things and, and people be confused by why are there more than one thing. Um, you know, there's too many choices in the world already. And so, we're, you know, the, the goal with the newer .NET is to make a, a single unified .NET uh, for people to move forward with. Um, I will say something. We did actually user test this. So we didn't just go sit in a room and go, this would be a great idea. Um, we, we sat down with, uh, over 250 people that we interviewed, uh, to get their feedback on this. And, uh, um, most of it was what you would expect. They would go, yeah, I understand what you're doing.
2: I think it was a good move ultimately. Um, but it makes it difficult to talk to non-technical PMs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think if you're talking about the version of .NET, you've already gone
2: too far, Ash. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, speaking
3: of versions of .NET, that's a that's a that's an interesting topic in itself. Is, um, you know, when we were in the .NET framework era, people literally did not upgrade to the new versions of .NET until they installed a new version of Windows or they bought new hardware. And so we have these five year cycles on uh, people using the tech, which is frustrating as heck for us as as developers building frameworks for customers. It's like we built all this new tech. And nobody's using it. Um, and by the time you start using it, we're already on to the next version and we can't even respond to what you do. But that, that's been an, an amazing change. One, one, you know, one of the goals in the newer .NET was number one, side by side, meaning you can have more than one on the machine. Um, and then another, another focus was obviously on performance. Uh, but we've now had, um, this blows my mind, is we have two ways of shipping .NET. We have what we call the LTS release. That's the long-term support. That's three years support in, and we have the the non lts, uh, which is an eighteen month. We actually extended it. It used to be twelve it used to be like thirteen months. We made it eighteen months because I, I'll kind of tell, I'll tell you why it's eighteen months now. Um, but you know we want customers to use the newest tech, and we want to make it easy to you know build your new project on six and keep your old ones on five. That's fine. Uh, but don't get years and years and years behind uh, but for the first time ever uh, earlier this year we were sitting down with some big customers and these are in the financial industry. These are the exact kinds of people that you would expect. We're on the LTS releases. We're not going to move. Um, and what they told us was, um, you know, normally we would only stay on an LTS release, but the, the performance improvements in five are so much bigger than the performance in 3.1 that that's money to us. And so we are willing to actually stay on the current releases. And they actually asked us, they said the only challenge for us is we want a little bit more time to move off of, an L- of a non-LTS release to an LTS release, uh, which is why we added the extra five months to the cycle, which gives them roughly half a year uh, to move from like a five to a six. Um, but we, so we, we see that. Um, I think it's amazing to see customers now willing to say that the year over year benefits in a version of .NET is big enough that they're willing to take the step to, to stay current. Um, and then of course, as I said, we, we helped as well. We, we negotiated a little bit and, and, and changed the support contract a little bit all up for all customers uh, to enable that. And, and you might ask, well, why do you have the LTS and the non-LTS releases? Um, it's all about how many versions of .NET do we have to keep under support at a single time. Um, you know, the, the, the term I like to say is I, I would prefer to have more of my engineering team working on new stuff than trying to maintain the old stuff. And, uh, you know, back in the, the previous .NET Framework era, we, we keep those things alive forever and forever and forever. And, uh, um, but anyways, excited that people are moving, you know, faster and faster. Uh, you know, speaking of moving, there's a new piece of tech that uh, we um, just RTM'd with the .NET 6 release as well. We call this the .NET Upgrade Assistant. Um, and this is a command line tool that makes it easier to move uh, away from .NET Framework onto .NET 5 or .NET 6. Um, it, uh, it works great, especially for desktop applications. If you're WinForms, WPF, uh, or if you're a, a MVC application or a Web API application, those four types of applications move pretty clean, cleanly with this, with this tool. It'll convert your project file for you. It'll fix references. It even knows how to go and fix uh, some common code problems that we've actually, um, you know, there's a part of our team, we have a customer success team that has helped many customers move and and, and modernize to .NET 5 or now .NET 6. Um, and from that, we learned a bunch of classic, like, hey, we can replace this with this. And so the tool does that. Um, and so that's the .NET Upgrade Assistant. And uh, hopefully that'll help more and more people um, get to move to the new tech.
0: And with the announcement and, and with the uh, going live of uh, .NET 6 today, what, what are the newest language features that people should be aware of or that you're most excited about?
3: There's probably three things, three or four things that I'm most excited about. Um, you know, one of them's a little controversial. Um, we, we started doing a study group. About um, a year and a half or two years ago, um, and it was a project we called Feather HTTP. Um, it's probably go- you could probably Google it and find it out there. And what it was was we actually wanted to sit down with some Node developers and some Python developers and show them .NET and say, "Hey, you know this this is really high performance technology. It's really awesome. Um, what do you think about it?" and we showed them the existing web API tech that we had and and they're like wow that's a lot of code Um, (laughs) compared to you know getting started with node or getting started with python um you know you can Node gets complicated too if you if you if you bring in express which is a you know hello world's easy in node you bring in express which which gives you more capabilities and you're you're looking at a lot more code but but .NET was just a huge divide between that. And so um, from that, we did a bunch of language features. Uh, some of them started in, in uh, .NET 5 with C Sharp 9, and some of them came in C Sharp 10, which is part of .NET 6. Um, and the team calls this uh, minimal minimal APIs. Um, I call it approachable APIs. Um, I, I, I don't like the term minimal. Um, and the goal of this was to basically make the boilerplate required to start a .NET project shrink a ton. So for example, if you go into Visual Studio or you .NET new a console application in .NET 6, it is one line of code, um, which means we got rid of a bunch of boilerplate. There is no longer a main. Um, we act- there actually still is a main. We just generate the main from your code. Um, And there used to be a class. You typically have a class program. And inside of that, there'd be a a method called main. Um, And so we removed the class. Uh, Both of these features were done in in, uh, .NET 5. We call that top-level programs. Um, And then something else is all .NET projects have always had, you know, using system, using system dot. Um, And you put this almost the same stuff. Using system is in every single file. I doubt you'll have something without a using system and um, maybe we should just have where the developer can declare what are the most common usings they have in all their, all their files and yank those out. Um, And so we call that global usings. Um, And then if you're building, you know, like a simple node style or or flask style API um, you're probably going to write some lambdas. Um, That's an, that's a, that's a way of where you can, technically write a, a method in line in C-sharp, uh, a lot of those, those, those lambdas in, in uh, C-sharp 9 required a bunch of typecasting. Um, and, of course, if I'm trying to simplify the, the project, uh, typecast, how would you know to put the typecast in? This was my, The first version of some of this stuff in the, in the Feather project was, I'm like, why are there seven casts in this demo?
1: <laughs> um, we had to have
3: them. <laughs> we had to have them. And so we, uh, we made the compiler smarter where it can actually figure out that cast by itself. Um, and, you know, I, I call the whole thing approachable APIs, but it means final new console is one line. that writes console.writeLineHelloWorld, um, which makes .NET as approachable as any of the other scriptable languages. If you want to build an API, it's going to be two or three or four lines of code for, for, for a hello world. Now, obviously, if you want diagnostic pages, you want... You're gonna you're gonna add stuff back, um, and and that's kind of the controversy is is uh, did we go too far, and I don't know if we'll know that until we ship it and it gets into the hands of real customers, not just the uh, our our favorite fans that follow us on
0: Twitter.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of where uh, where my my thought process was was heading was like you know being able to get going writing less code is is great. Uh, but one of the things as a, as a longtime corporate C-Sharp developer uh, that I appreciate is that C-Sharp has always provided that foundation that, or well, .NET has always provided that foundation. Like, here is what you need to get started, and we've put in some basic patterns to kind of, kind of get you off on the right foot um, with the minimal APIs and the uh, top-level programs. Uh, Does that still exist or are you just presented with an empty file like you are in Node and then you have to go and search the Internet for seven hours trying to figure out how to get Express going?
3: So the the intent would be that you almost not an empty file like an API would actually have some API code in it. Um, There will be a web link in any of the projects, including the console project that will actually take you to an article so you don't have to search the world Um, that kind of explains what changed and how to put the stuff back that we, that we took out if you want to put it back. Um, so I want that to be very, you know, that was our, our kind of plan was like, okay, we can take it all out and make it really, really simple, um, but it's one click, no search the web, right to our docs and the docs will explain how is this different than it was before? And here's how to go put back the pieces that you actually might want to put back. I, I would love in the future to even have the tooling be able to let you right click and say, I want diagnostics or right click. I want uh, DI or right click. Um, so I think there's a bunch of tooling stuff we can do too. Um, and we would put that in the, in, the, in the doc link or put a comment in or something there. Um, I will say it is an experiment. Uh, the one nice thing about the way we ship .NET today is we ship it on, on pretty much a monthly basis for patches and stuff like that. And so if the feedback is is we went too far, we can put it back. Um, the other thing is is templates now are it can can be installed via nuget uh, so nothing prevents us from also having a nuget template pack that contains the other templates as well, and we could even document that in that link that we put in the in the beginning of the file and so i think there 's a bunch of levers for us to pull um, yeah I think the fear for us was if we just said and, and we I, I should show you if I, if I could show you the internal threads where we argued about this ad nauseum, <laughs> you can imagine it was, it was, it was, it was, they were pretty crazy. Um, we feel that if we don't at least try something, we're just giving up. There's people saying that, Hey, you know, if you Google, you know, .NET uh, console application, you're just going to see this and this doesn't look like that anymore. But I would challenge and say an ASP.NET application in, in .NET core and now, you know, .NET doesn't look anything like it did before either and the world did not implode um but uh i don't know and so
0: i would argue though that they're not so different i mean i, I started in dot net in vb.net version two something we're not, maybe we're
1: not supposed to talk about that
0: but and then quickly <laughs> quickly transitioned into c sharp and, and loved it and 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 haven't looked back but Like I I have several pet projects on like uh, in some web based games that have never gone anywhere that I've taken the guts, the the core business logic and upgraded it from those early versions of .NET all along the way through .NET Core and into .NET 5. And the core business logic code didn't change. Like it still runs. I I might need to change some using statements and some namespaces and things like that, but it, it doesn't look all that different. I mean, a lot of the entry code for MVC or APIs or things like that are are different because that code base has evolved and and is a lot easier and more approachable to get started. But the core business logic, the the syntax of the language, really hasn't changed all that much. True, and and I think too, Microsoft has done a really good job, especially in recent years, on. Presenting their case, and, and you know, Scott, you you and your team, as Richard Landers is posting blog posts, and uh, Daniel Roth is posting blog posts on on this is the approach we're taking. These are the release candidate announcements, and what you can look forward to, what we're working on, what might slip, uh, what we're we're requesting feedback on, and look, there are comments open for so that we can hear from you.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, also a, a link to the docs. You know, if you would have said that. Five years ago, would well, wouldn't have meant anything to me. A link to the docs today actually is a pretty good. Uh, there's a lot of value there that I'm that I'm anticipating to find. So
3: cool. So I, I think the uh, uh, one of the next big ones um, actually it's probably my favorite feature that we're doing. Uh, and I will also warn everybody: it's a feature that will take us about two years to complete. Um, but this is the first version of the, of the feature, which is uh, hot reload.
1: Oh, yes, please.
3: <laughs> and it, it's, even as we started rebooting, you know, .NET with .NET Core 1.0, um, we always, there's a term at Microsoft, we call it inner loop. And the inner loop is as a developer, you make a change, and then how long does it take for the application to reflect that change? Um, and I know that that term is probably an internal only Microsoft. You Google it, it probably comes up blank. Um, but that's the term we use inside of Microsoft for that cycle of uh, change some code, uh, compile, run, view in the browser, or view in the app, and then do it again. Um, and, you know, you know while .NET and, and many of the compiled languages um, are, are awesome at runtime performance, uh, we, give, we give up design time performance. Uh, because of that awesome runtime performance because we're compiling. You know, Imagine C++. It's even slower than uh, compiling a, a, a C Sharp application. Um, and we had tech in the old world um, called Edit and Continue that did some of this. Um, but that tech carried with it some other problems as well. So that tech, uh, Edit and Continue is a feature that's in .NET Framework. I think it actually works in .NET 5 and 6 as well. You just don't know it does. Um, but, to, to, but to use edit and continue, you have to launch the debugger and then set a breakpoint somewhere. When the breakpoint hits, you can make some code changes. Um, and we then, we, we then dynamically inject those changes back into the, the running application. Uh, with .NET 6, uh, we're taking that to the next level. You no longer have to actually attach the debugger to do this. You can just start running an application, go back in the editor, make some changes. You can decide whether you want to push the change into the running app. Uh, immediately, without saving the file, or you can save the file. We support both flavors of that. Um, it's a mix of some of the edit and continue tech. It's a mix of some new tech. Obviously, the debugger is not required anymore. Um, and you know, I think it's going to dramatically improve uh, the developer productivity uh, and lessen the number of times you have to actually stop running the application to make changes. Um, I, I called it out, saying it's going to take us a, a while to finish it. Uh, and that's because um, we need developers to start using it and find the edge cases where we can't um, inject that change in and we'll go fix stuff. Like, for example, the edit and continue tech, because it was built a long time ago, it didn't understand lambdas. And so if you wrote a lambda, well, we couldn't we couldn't edit continue that code. Um, and we've already done a bunch of work in .NET 6 and the Visual Studio family of tools already to make more of those scenarios work correctly. Um, but it will take us probably a year to two years to really get it where you can really change a lot of your application. Um, and there's another flavor of it that that we're not shipping yet that I think is also interesting, which is there are cases where you will have to restart the application. You know, if if you're changing the startup code of the application, well, that code's already run. Uh, and, and so there's another feature that we, that we prototyped during this, this, uh, timeframe, um but couldn't finish it in time. And that is being able to restart your, your, your app in the same process. Today, what would happen is, you know, you close the app and then we have to create a new process in Windows and then put your app inside that process. It's much cheaper for me to actually stop the running process, change it, and then, and then but keep the process running. I mean, don't actually close the actual process, just restart it. Um, and so I saw demos of that uh, a few months ago and it was, instant- it was instantaneous. You could basically make a change in a, in a controller uh, and then go change part of the startup and the app would just go and just run like sub one second again. And so I think the combination of the hot reload work we're doing, uh, the ability to do this is gonna dramatically just change the way developers work. That was the, when we, when we introduced Blazor it it got the most complaints. Uh, you know, you make a change in a Blazor app, and it might be six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds before you uh, would see that reflected in your code. And that those are now sub one second. Um, and so that's probably my my favorite feature in .NET six. Um, and give us till .NET eight to get it fully right.
1: I will be waiting patiently.
3: Have you tried it, Clayton already? Have you have you had, had a chance to u- try it at all today?
1: Uh, no, I. Um... <laughs> I have I have downloaded Visual Studio 2022 and for purposes of some research I was doing um I played around with Maui but I hadn't dived into any of the minimal API or any of the the hot swapping capabilities I mean I'm I may have accidentally noticed something while I was playing with Maui but I didn't like you know I didn't I didn't dawn on me that that maybe something was happening but hot hot reload hot swap whatever you want to call it is is got to be one of my Favorite features from web development, from doing you know uh, React and, and Angular applications, and and then switching over and doing Blazor. Love Blazor, absolutely love Blazor. I want Blazor to take over, but not having that capability was was kind of painful because you have to you know you make a change, to stop the app, you restart the app, um, and then they added in the um, what was it the the link to the browser. And then you could get some capability, but it wasn't it wasn't complete.
3: Yeah, that was we, we th- that was still a restart, uh, but we kind of kept you in the same place. Um, so you would lose some state uh, on that feature. That was basically you could change the HTML or whatever, and uh, the page would update in a, in a couple seconds. Uh, the hot reload is pretty cool because since we're not restarting the process at all, all the state of your running app is still there, um, and that was that that makes it really cool. But that. That's that's got to be my favorite feature. Then the, the next one that I I am excited about, but it's also one that we're not going to finish completely in .NET six is going to be you know what we call Maui. Um, and I'll I'll kind of explain the genesis of Maui. Um, you know, we acquired Xamarin back in 2016. Xamarin was a a company that was building tools uh, so you could build iOS and Android apps uh, with C sharp and even after we we acquired it because it had its own brand and it wasn't actually part of .net um this this will sound weird um but i when we when we first announced maui i was on a on, this was a build uh early this year in may in a chat uh because we were doing a you know, it's virtual build and so you're doing a chat thing so you can actually talk to people uh, during the talk people were like wow i can finally build mobile apps with net and i'm oh, like what <laughs> are you are you are you kidding me but that just shows you that that some of this messaging stuff is super super important and so that was one of the goals of maui was to actually rebrand it uh put it into the microsoft namespaces put it directly in the product um and and uh and and make the product more round, more well rounded um we also took the mobile stuff to, to the full extreme, which is like, why are we just doing iOS and, and, uh, um, uh, and Android, why not do Mac and windows? Um, because the, the intent of the tech really is, you know, there's m- many cases that you want to have, you might want to have the best experience application and you should write that in native tech, uh, on any of those platforms, but there's also plenty of just apps. Um, and we have customers here's, here's the typical customer ask. um, you know, our, our, we, we need our employees to have a mobile app uh, that they can manage some part of our, the back end of our system. Um, but we don't want to say that everybody has to have an iPhone or everybody has to have an Android phone. We really want people to bring their own devices, um, but we also don't want to write the app twice. And so the, I think the sweet, sweet spot for Maui is, yeah, it, it, it's hard to get a Maui app to have the full fidelity of a, of a native app. Um, but it can give you a pretty good experience um, in, a, in a very cross device uh, way. Um, now the big changes that Maui brings a bunch of big changes. I mentioned namespaces are gonna change uh, so that the, the upgrade assistant tool will fix those for you. The project system is going to change. You know, As we went through this new .NET journey, you know, we have new project files. And so we had to migrate the Xamarin projects uh, to the new project system. That's a big change. Uh, Xamarin projects have always been based on Mono, um, and uh, they still are. Uh, we use Mono. Uh, that's a cross-platform you know, .NET implementation. We use that for Blazor uh, client applications, and we use it for MAUI applications. But we do make a change where um, we're just using the Mono runtime bits now, uh, the BCL, the base class libraries, string, date, time, all that kind of stuff. We, this is one of the most exciting things about, for, for, in the new product for me is finally everywhere, whether it's, um, um, you know, a, a Blazor application, a regular ASP.NET application, a, a, a MAUI application, we use the same base class libraries everywhere in .NET. So that's a, um, we're not using the, the mono base class libraries for those projects and then a different one for these, which is great for us. It means we fix a bug one place. It affects everything we, we change perf in one place. It affects everything. And so we got the project file changes, the namespaces change. We have the new BCL that comes in, uh, meaning you're going to have better compatibility with, you know, libraries out there. And then we, we, we didn't like the structure of the, of the projects either, where if you were going to build a, a Xamarin application, there'd be a, an iOS project. There'd be an Android project. Uh, there would be a, a shared class library project that feels too complicated. And so we wanted to fold all of those into a single project as well. So um, point I'm trying to make is we made a lot of changes. Um, and, uh, and the intent of this is you have a write once run windows, Mac, iOS, Android. Um, and because of all those changes, we just, we just couldn't finish it all by November. Um, so, we're going to, it'll still be in the, in the product in November. We'll, we're not going to call it RTM. Uh, we'll RTM it sometime uh, early in 2022 um, after we get a few more months of bake time on it. So if Clayton tried it, he probably got frustrated by it because <laughs> um, it, it has been a little frustrating. We still have some size problems. We have some startup perf problems uh, that we have to work through. Um, but it, at the end, when it's done, uh, it should be a much better product than we had before with xamarin and uh so if you're a xamarin customer, don't freak out uh we're gonna support xamarin uh in its existing form you know until we uh, until at least a year after we ship Maui as 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 uh, you know r t m so if we ship Maui in in March, then it would be not until the next following March or whatever before we would actually say you have to you have to migrate. Um, and the tool is gonna to help you migrate as well. But we, we changed, there's other internal changes in MAUI as well. The the way that you define a control and the way it renders and stuff has been improved, which will improve performance across the board. Uh, so there's lots of good stuff there. I'm super excited about it. Um, and I, I love the fact that you can build, um, the demo that we did at, at Build in May was we built a weather application, but then we were on, the, on a Windows PC, it could take advantage of Windows APIs, like the taskbar, uh, tray icons, notifications. We could do the same thing on the Mac. And so I love the idea that you could build a single app and make it still have platform lightups on all the various platforms. Uh, so that's MAUI. And then the, the the full crazy extent of MAUI is what if, What if you merge Blazor and MAUI together? Um, you know, we've all used VS Code. That's an Electron app. And for folks that don't know what Electron apps are, that's a, a web app housed inside of a desktop application. Um, and people primarily do it because you can share a lot of code across a bunch of platforms, um, but it puts you into the JavaScript world. Um, you know, we've all probably complained about if, how many, how many electron apps can you run on your machine before you have to add more RAM. Um, and so <laughs> um, literally with, with the, with the Maui tech, you can basically reference uh, a Blazor project inside of your Maui application so then you do have two projects. You've got your Maui app and you've got your Blazor, Blazor project, but any Blazor project that exists today should for the most part just work. And now you've got a, a bunch of web UI that you can share across, you know, all those platforms. Um, and because it's a desktop app, it still has access to the file system. You know, it can, it can call it real APIs. Um, and, and so I think the it's going to be interesting to see which is more popular, the, uh, Blazor apps running on inside of Maui, or the native UI apps running inside of Maui, I think we don't know the answer to that, but i um the weather app we showed at build um we did a blazer version of it and a native control version of it the The web version was only ten megs only used ten more megs of RAM than, than the native control control did, so we're already showing much smaller sizes than say an electron app does so uh i I think that is. Super cool as well.
1: So I, I, I like having the the capability of having the web view and running your Blazor app inside of Maui. Um, but at the same time, I was really turned on by the uh, mobile Blazor bindings. Yep. Uh, and I haven't heard anybody say anything about that in a really long time. I want to get rid of XAML. I don't... <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't like. I, I have I have some some uh, Xamarin apps that I'm that I'm messing with, and that whole process is somewhat frustrating for a web developer. I would love to be able to use the mobile Blazor bindings, but it, last time I checked, it didn't look like a whole lot was going on, and I haven't heard anything about them in a little while. Is that still a thing?
3: Yeah. So let's let's let's. Well, for people that are listening, let's tell them what mobile Blazor bindings are. So uh, we did an experiment to see if you could actually write a, a, uh, Xamarin app with Blazor syntax. Um, and, uh, you know, the motivator for this was, and by the way, we, we actually did a bunch of these prototypes. We did a Flutter one. Uh, we called it Blutter, Blazor (laughs) over Flutter. Um, and, uh, for the reasons Clayton said, um, XML feels like an old dated kind of thing. Uh, XAML is, is full of XML. Um, and uh, actually the, the, the uh, Blazor app running inside of Maui is actually some of that mobile Blazor binding stuff. Um, it's just not all of it. Um, so when we decided to do Maui 1.0, which is going to ship in .NET 6, we thought that yanking XAML out would be too much of a, of a change. And, uh, and so we, and, and obviously you can already see, we didn't have time to even finish that. Right. So, so, uh, I think first step is get Maui shipped, uh, in GA have a way for people with existing Xamarin applications to move their applications to the new Maui tech. But I think what Clayton says is, is super interesting. Um, all up. I think the Blazor syntax is interesting because, you know, if you use like something like react native, um, it feels like a little webby. I mean, it's not really webby, but it's angle brackets. It's the same kind of angle brackets that, that uh, the web has. And Blazor uh, kind of gives you those same angle brackets as well. Um, th- there's some other prototypes we've been playing with where instead of using uh, a Blazor syntax, you can use a C-sharp syntax. Um, and that's, that, that lies in where we don't know what to do right now is we have to go figure out. Um, you know, One thing I've learned over my all the time working this .NET stuff is, don't give developers lots of choices. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's, it would be a travesty to say, hey, you can write your Maui app in C-sharp or you can write your Maui app in XAML or you can write your, your Maui app in Blazor. Um, and so I think we have to go figure out, is the C-sharp thing the cool thing uh, or is the Blazor thing the cool thing? And once we do that, I think what we would do is I'm going to get in trouble for saying this kind of stuff. We would actually <laughs> uh, make that the new experience in visual studio you would get you would use one of those new syntax by default and XAML would be just there for compatibility uh, for existing applications um, when people hear this they're going they're gonna come after me with pitchforks but
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you when you say c sharp do you mean like the CSHTML HTML files or something else
3: raw c sharp uh, if you ever seen if you see Swift UI um, it, it'd be kind of a kind of a a thing sort of like Swift UI where you actually just, just define all of your 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 markup in C sharp.
1: Okay. Which you, you can sorta of do with with um Xamarin today. You can just go to the code behind and populate everything from there. Would it be like that ish?
3: Better though. So uh um the, the the intent would be that we would make language features, language changes and stuff to make it where it's not verbose. Um, today, you know, if you, if you do, you know, like even in like WinForms, forms, you could technically go and build the UI all by hand. Um, but it was cumbersome. You don't want to go create classes. You want to do all that kind of stuff in, in line. So yeah, that's, but we don't
0: know. Awesome. Awesome. So are are there any other features that we need to be aware of, or is it just stay tuned, uh, for, for more announcements this week?
3: Um, other stuff that I think is interesting. Um, is there anything else that's crazy? Um, EF... E- EF Core performance is, is a big one as well that comes in, in, in uh, this round of, of, of work. Um, it is 70% faster in .NET 6 than it was in.NET 5. And the, the Stack Exchange folks have a, a cool library called Dapper, um, which is a very lightweight ORM written on top of .NET. Um, EF Core actually ends up being, being within like three or 4% of Dapper performance in .NET 6. Um, so it, it you know we spent a lot of work on it thirty one percent faster query performance, uh reduced memory by forty three percent. So just across the board, um, you can get the full power in o r m uh, and almost the same performance of, of, as as dapper has today. Uh, the Stack exchange folks are off trying to make dapper faster again, so it's a, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fun community.
0: And we all benefit for it. So,
3: and everybody wins. I, you know, anytime we do this kind of stuff, I, I love, I love where it goes.
0: All right. So, so what's next? Are, what are we? Are we already looking forward to .dot NET seven? Are there other things that we should be aware of or, or keeping keep an eye out for?
3: Um, I, I will say one more thing, which would be uh, we uh, we do also have you know as Blazer people if you're in, if you're doing Blazer client. Uh, that's the one that uses WebAssembly WASM. We do have a feature now where you can natively compile the entire app. Um, so you can get more hyper high, high performance if you, if, if performance is really important to you. Uh, but beyond that, uh, we started .NET 7 planning, um, about three or four weeks ago. And one of the cool things is, and, and I'll try to get you some links. Um, all that planning does happen on the web. So you can see the, the major topics and the major themes that are there. Um, and so .NET 7 planning is up, um, but there is some, some other craziness as well, which is my role is going to change a little bit. Um, um, I've been in, in, this is, it's a funny history. I, I joined Microsoft in 2007 working on the ASP.NET team. And then in 2010, we took our entire team and moved into Azure uh, because Scott Guthrie, who's the EVP of Cloud and AI at Microsoft, um, he was in DevDiv at the time. And when he moved to the cloud, he took anything web-related with him. So that was like IAS, uh, the web tooling in Visual Studio, ASP.NET. And so we went over and, and sat in Azure for about six years. The ASP.NET team did, um, which was great because we, we, Azure was building app service, and we made sure that you know, .NET and ASP.NET ran great inside of it, uh, built a bunch of web tooling for, for the cloud. And then in 2016, um, I came back to DevDiv. Um, and that was part of a, this, the .NET Core journey. Um, the .NET Core journey started on the in the ASP.NET team. And then as we started trying to move the rest of the .NET into it, it was better to merge the orgs back together. And so we came back into DevDiv uh, and from 2016 to, to, to now, I guess 2021, you know, I've been working on .NET all up as a platform uh, for developer division. Um, but I'm in the process right now of moving back into the Azure org again, uh, but still inside of de- developer division. What happened was all that tech I was talking about, like app service, it's now in developer division. Um, and so uh, um, I'm going to find myself more involved in the Azure bits uh, again, um, which will actually end up helping .NET as well, because uh, a big thing that we've, we've, been, we've been talking about for .NET all up has been like cloud native. You know, today, most applications are you, you build a web app um, or you build uh, an API app. Um, most of these applications are still monolithic. they're one app. Um, but you know we've seen this new pattern kind of come up over the net the, the last couple of years, which is I'm going to build these microservice apps, these smaller apps that all kind of talk to each other and and that that pattern you know comes up because of uh, the fact that you if you break the app up into pieces, well those independent teams can run at a faster rate than trying to wait and and be kind of deadlocked on. Some big file inside of the the, the big app, um, and so that's going to be a big focus for us in the Azure world is making those types of apps work better in Azure, um, and then you know I think we're going to then marry some of the work we've been doing in the on the .NET side, um, and and merge those two efforts together. And so as we build better ability, better ways to host microservices in Azure. Um that'll 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 then land a, a better place for your net applications to run in Azure. And what I mean by that is you've probably all heard of Docker and Kubernetes. Um, as a dev, I don't want to even think about that stuff. I just want to write my app. Um, and so imagine a world where you write your app and while it does run in containers, you don't write Docker files. you just publish it, and we then put it in a container uh, and and do that work for you. So I think there's a whole space there to make these multi-part apps better on the tooling side, from the framework side, from the, from the stuff that we have in Azure. Um, and so that's a space I'm going to get to go work in a lot uh, in the future.
1: Well, while, while you're in that space, uh, if, if you could maybe chat with some people and think about something. Uh, so like one of my biggest issues is I work on an application that's in one of those microservice environments. So there's like 14 other teams and they develop their own software but then when I'm developing, I'm dependent on their services that are running in some dev environment. I would love to be able to have the, all the services running locally in a somewhat easy way without having to do all the Kubernetes and the Docker stuff uh, so that that way I can, I can test my code without having to worry about, oh, I'm, I'm breaking what QA is doing now.
3: Exactly. And, and so we, you know, we, we were exploring that. We have been exploring that already um, with, uh, there was a project we did called Project Tie. And what Project Tie was all about was how do I build a multi-part application on my local machine and then publish it to the cloud? Um, and the intent of Tie was, I, I might be publishing the containers, but I don't want to write Docker files or Helm charts or any of this kind of stuff. And so um, we hopefully will take that technology to the next level um, have a better experience in vis- from command line with it, have a better experience in, in like the Visual Studio family of tools with it. But that whole space, Clayton, of being able to you know, run those parts and not have to be attached to some other developers' cloud assets, um, trust me, I, I, I get that all up. And, and uh, th- that's why I think there's a whole bunch of opportunity here for us to do some, some cool stuff.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it.
3: I got one more Clayton thing for you. So uh, um, I didn't say it earlier, but I will say it now. Uh, James Clancy in the .NET team has a project called Comet. And if you haven't seen it, you can, you can Google that. I can give you the links uh, for the podcast as well. And Comet is, is the prototype of if you built your Maui app in c sharp.
1: Oh, nice. Yes, I'd love to see that.
3: Um, so, so that is a, and I would love to hear your feedback on where you think we should go with that. As I said, I, I, well, I don't.
1: Be, be careful what you ask. For. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but but you you understand our, our our what we don't want to do is say hey there's three ways of doing this. Uh, we'd love to say we chose one of the ways and that's the default way for new projects. And you know we we maintain the XAML for your older projects.
2: So we've we've uh, talked a lot about .NET six and features in it uh, .NET Maui top level programs. Are, are there any resources you could point our listeners to? Uh, for getting started with any of these things?
3: I think the biggest one is obviously the .NET website. Uh, there'll be a bunch of tutorials and stuff up uh, by now uh, on how to do this kind of stuff. I think the .NET blog um, is, another, uh, is another big place. Um, and I'll, I'll send you the links. So we can put them on the, on the podcast. And then finally, there's the doc site. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an amazing doc site. It's pretty current for us. But between those three places, that's really it. The, the, the blog um uh, the.NET website, dot.net. Uh you can find the docs from there as well. But but uh and and then the docs or would be the three best places to find stuff like that. Uh there's also sets, um there's a whole bunch of learning materials. Uh there's a MS Learn thing, and I'll give you a link to that as well. And you'll be able to go find getting started videos uh with full tutorials on how to build these apps uh from there as well. So but those are my favorite kind of couple places to to think about.
1: Uh, so, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started, or those maybe looking to level up their own careers?
3: Um, I'll, I'll give you a recent one that that uh, that I, that I think about. I thought about recently, which is just some career advice. Is you know, I've been at Microsoft for 14 years, and when I was younger in my career, you, you know, once again, you, it, we all hang out together a lot. Of, a lot. Of, a lot. Of, you know. It, Developers kind of hang out with other developers. And then what you find is you end up working with a bunch of people that are very similar to yourself. Um, and so I found in my career that I looked, looked up one day and I'm like, you know what? I have a bunch of people that are all, we, we all think the same way. We can finish each other's sentences. Uh, and I recognize that that was maybe not the greatest thing. And so uh, the last couple of years, I've really, really tried to take, take my leadership team and .NETs and surround myself with very different types of people. Uh, they come from different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, and I call this diversity of opinion or diversity of thoughts or diversity of thinking. And so the more diverse my team is and their backgrounds and the way they think, and it, it lends to a better product every single time. Some of, the, some of the best things that I, even early in Microsoft, when I still had some of the, I was surrounded by too many of the same types of people Uh, my engineering manager, Alon Lipton at the time, he and I, very different opinions. He was far this way. I am far the other way. And that meant the product was somewhere in the middle between both of us. And so I think that like Razor, uh, MVC3, one of my favorite versions of MVC, uh, they all were benefits of of, uh, that, the fact that he and I were very different. And You've got something in between both of us. He might've been too extreme one direction. I was too extreme the other direction and you get a nice middle ground. And so I think, uh, always looking up and thinking are the people that I'm, I'm, I'm surrounding myself with exactly like me. And if they are, maybe you should try to change your team a little bit. So you get more diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, um, as you work on your projects.
2: That is really good advice. So where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on?
3: So I am, I am cool CSH on Twitter. Uh, that's the best way to find me. And you might be curious, you know, why cool CSH? Um, the reality is, you know, Scott Hunter, every form of Scott Hunter was taken on Twitter, <laughs> even in 2008. <laughs> um, and so my initials are actually CSH. So, cause I am Carl Scott Hunter. And so I just took cool and put it in front of my initials. And that is my uh, my Twitter handle. Um, there's another joke that, that Scott Hanselman on my team likes to always throw at me, which is like, you know, to be successful at Microsoft, you need to be a Scott. So you just change your name to Scott, <laughs> uh, which is not true. My parents called me Scott as well. So uh, the Carl comes from my grandfather. Uh, and that's in, that's in both my name and my dad's name. And so... Uh,
2: so you're saying it's still true that you have to be a Scott to be successful at Microsoft? It doesn't hurt.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, you know your, your typical in Microsoft, your alias is typically your first name and the, the first two letters of your last name. And so there's, you know, Scott Guthrie, who's the EVP of, of uh, uh, Cloud and AI. That's Goo. And then there's Scott Hunter. That's Who. And then there's Scott Hanselman, Ha. And so we call it, you know, it's a Goo-Hoo-Ha. If, uh... <laughs> fantastic so we have lots of fun with that kind of stuff there's there's been plenty of moments when we when we open source.net for the first time uh in 2014 at a conference scott handsome and i are super excited uh we 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 wore red polo shirts underneath our uh white t-shirts and the idea was to get on stage with scott scott guthrie and then we would you know unveil our shirts and we the three red polos three scots. Somebody leaked it to, to, to Scott Guthrie as well, because he showed up with a t-shirt over his red shirt as well. Um, <laughs> I wish I had video I could share, but we had there's somewhere there's a video on the internet of of all three of us, all three Scots, D shirting uh, to red polos at the same time. So
0: well Scott, this has been so much fun. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today.
3: Thank you for having me so much. And let's not let's not wait a couple of years next time.
0: Yeah, we'll do. That was Scott
1: Hunter. Scott works at Microsoft on Visual Studio and .NET, including .NET Core, uh, no longer .NET Core, .NET Tooling Languages, ASP.NET, Entity Framework, and Web Tooling. If you like this episode, please like,
2: rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. Dev.
0: This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Callaway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.